Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you, as always, by SI Fan Nation and InsideThePenguins.com. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I'm joined, as always, by Nick Horwat. And you know what, Horwat? Some days in the offseason, you're just grasping for anything to talk about, and some days, Four stories just roll into your lap at 9 a.m. and you have to quickly realize that there's things happening at the minor league level. There's contract things happening. There's this day in Penguins history happening. And that was Wednesday. So we're going to break down all of that in today's episode. But first and foremost, Horwat, when a day like that happens, are you not just giddy? It's a fun day. It's not the biggest news ever, but, you know, it's still something. <laughs> the coffee is still very warm whenever that Whenever news hits the timeline and all of a sudden it's okay, all hands on deck. We got things to do, boys. We got things to talk yeah. about, worry about, overreact to maybe. Yes. Uh, and also, since you said the history piece, absolutely look back on fondly because I still don't think that moment will ever be topped in my life. In person. Exactly. We'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to all of this because we have obviously a breakdown of all the news that came across the wire on Wednesday for the Pittsburgh Penguins and their obviously affiliations. And then we'll talk about Ron Hextall's end of the season press conference that happened on Monday afternoon. And then we'll finish it all off as we always do on Thursday episodes with our shout outs and call outs. Let's start here because I think this is the news that came Wednesday that realistically affects the Pittsburgh Penguins the most. And that is... Extra details from Brian Rust's contract. Obviously, we reported on Monday that Brian Rust signed a six-year extension worth $5.125 million per season. The first three years of that, what we didn't know then and we do know now is the first three years of that has a full no-move clause. So does that change your overall opinion of this contract by Brian Rust at all? Um, I mean, it has to a little bit, right? Because... With the original deal, the fact that there were no... Well, that's, it is the original deal. Whenever the first news was reported, the fact that we didn't know of any clauses, uh, we didn't think there were any, uh, that was my favorite part of it. So the fact that there is something, it, it has to affect me a little. Uh, but it doesn't much because it's the first three years. It's the good three years. Yeah. Most contracts you see signed, it's the last three or the last two or the, the back half are protected. I think that's the John Marino deal. Yes. Uh, the... Pretty much every other contract that's been signed recently, the John Marino deal, the back three are, <clears throat> excuse me, the back three are protected. The Marcus Pedersen deal, the back two are protected. Um, but here with Brian Rust, it's the first three. All right. Yeah. That, and it's the good three, assuming his play stays the same. Uh, essentially, there isn't a clause there because it's yeah. not like it's, at least in the first year, it's not like we were going to move him anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's a non factor. I'd say it changes a little bit just because, let's say, you know, God God resists that, that something happens, like he just is terrible. God forbid, not God resists. God forbid something happens where he's just terrible this season. Yeah. Uh, well, he's stuck here for two more seasons. Well, I don't think that'll happen, but those that's the only thing that could happen is just unforeseen circumstances. Otherwise, yeah, it does- it's solid. It doesn't really change my opinion of the contract at all because it is the first three years, and there's multiple reasons that that could be. We already talked about the fact that he has a one-year-old son named Hunter that just turned one. He might want to be there for the formative years, you know, the first four years, or maybe he might want to have more kids and want to not have to be worried about moving in the middle of all of that. More than likely, that no-move clause also lines up with the end of Sidney Crosby's contract. He wants to play the rest of his career 
with Sidney Crosby. Now, Rust, for the most part, is a first liner. He might get bumped down to the second line from time to time, but realistically, it's like the Patrick Hornfist thing. Whenever all else fails, Brian Rust will join Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby, and realistically, those guys have formed a really big friendship, and I'm sure that had to play a part as to why it's exactly three years on that contract, not only to mention the fact that it's 50% of the contract that'll be a full no-move. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. It's not so much that... It's the full no move to, I don't know, it's... Keep his family in this place. Yeah, I mean, well, that might be an option. The fact that the full no move lines up perfectly with the Sidney Crosby contract, it's also the same year that uh, uh, Evgeny Malkin wants and that we have rumored to already offer Malkin and Latang. Uh, so, in other words, three years seems to be the magic number here in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think... What, wasn't this our magic number last time? Yes. Yeah, we knew moves were going to be made after this offseason. Yeah. So. so we're pushing back the magic number three years if all things work out correctly. Uh, I don't totally hate that idea. Um, again, the skill level is still there from Malkin and Latang, so you do enjoy that. Brian Russ, the skill level is still there. And let's say it's gone after three years. All right, buddy, thanks for the work. Everyone else is gone. Out the door you go. The rebuild begins. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, though, the only thing that would make it a little more perfect if Jake Gensel just had another year. <laughs> Jake yeah. Gensel's only two years left, which, fair. I mean, we'll see what he does in two years. He might be making a boatload of money in two years. Yeah. We'll have to see because, I mean, the guy is a two-time 40-goal scorer, you'd have to imagine. And he's playing on a discount because how many 40-goal scorers do you know making only $6 million per year? Nathan McKinnon. That's, I mean... Yes, but that's already highly been discussed about how much of a team-friendly deal that was. But nonetheless, more contract details on the Brian Rust deal. Again, doesn't really change our opinions on it because it's the first three years. It lines up with Crosby's contract, and honestly, it's probably going to be the most productive three years of the deal, so yeah. who really gives a crap? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's perfect. And that lining up perfectly is even better. Let's talk about another thing that happened on Wednesday because a lot of things did happen and this one is Yuso Rikula. Big big fans of Yuso Rikula on this show. We always pine for him to get more times, more opportunity, more chances at the NHL level and it never really happened and finally the cord has been cut. We were all kind of dumbfounded when Rikula signed that two-year extension a couple seasons ago as to like why he would want to come back and realistically the Penguins why they would want him. Because it is, I guess, injury insurance because he's a guy that can step in. But he was pushed so far down the lineup. I think this year he was considered to be the 10th or 11th defenseman on the Penguins' uh, depth chart. And he only played in, what, a couple games this year, if any. He played 80 total over the four seasons. But he will be taking his talents to the Swedish Hockey League back in Europe for IK. I'm going to mess this up. IK Oshkarsham. Close enough. Something like that. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not great. He played five games this year, by the way. He played one more than P.O. Joseph. One more than P.O. Joseph, three more than he did the previous season. Jeez. Remember, he was on the taxi squad. Yeah. And that's the other part, so, too. We we plummeted his uh, potential by not even using him in the AHL until this season. That's That that was the painful part, is because almost all of last year, he was sitting on the taxi squad getting no playing time. While the taxi squad was good for the time and should have still been used a little bit this year, 
we knew the kind of players that were on there, the Taylor Fadoon types, the Yuso Rikula types, where either the team doesn't like him or there's no more growth and potential. He's a, just a borderline player. Mm-hmm. And I'd say pff, Rikula, we kind of dumbfounded and made both of those. So yeah. I it's it hurts for him, but you know what? Man, I called it. I said he's going to Europe. Well, I think you may have said it first a long time ago. Either way, that's what ended up happening, and it's weird because it seemed like the Pittsburgh Penguins, when thinking about Yuso Rikula, basically saw him as a guy that couldn't make the jump because they never gave him the time to really acclimate himself to the NHL game. He basically would be, all right, he's great. He has nothing more to do in the AHL. He's a fantastic AHL defenseman, but they never thought he could make that jump, and they even stalled him out, I think, in his progression by playing him at forward for a handful of games. It was a really weird thing where when I watched Yuso Rikula play, I was like, okay, he can move the puck very well. He has a great shot. It seemed like he was hesitant to use it, but he did have a good shot. He was a physical defenseman that took pucks off of sticks whenever he tried to lay the body. But they just never use them. And then the times that they would just say, hey, instead of doing, which is a strategy used a lot in the NHL, instead of saying, hey, we're going to do 11 forward, 7 defensemen. They said, you know what? No, we're just going to force a defenseman to be our 12th forward. And it didn't make sense ever. And it's never going to make sense to me when I look back on it. But I do hope Rikola can find a little bit of success in Sweden. And I do wish him all the best. Honestly, I think this is two years past when I expected it to happen. I totally forgot we played him at forward. <laughs> what? When was yeah. that? Was last year, right? Uh, that was parts of two seasons. Because last year he only played two games. Remember, it was two seasons ago where he played, I believe, three or four games at forward. Brilliant. You know what? Maybe that's why Jack or uh, Mike Sullivan keeps getting snubbed for Jack Adams because people don't forget that they that you played a defenseman in the forward position. This isn't Brent Burns we're talking about, and that's also the other way. Forwards can turn into defensemen way easier than defensemen can turn into forwards, I think. Or at least that's what we've seen so far. We've seen it, but I I, I mean, that's a, that's a much larger discussion about the minutia of the, each different position and how you play it. Yeah, that being said, uh, man, it, you, you know what? He got, a, he, pretty, he got a decent deal, though. He got paid a pretty good amount of money to coast around the AHL. Uh, last season to sit in a press box and practice with four other guys most of the season. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's you f- feel for the guy because obviously he wanted his chances in the NHL, but just things couldn't turn around for him yeah. for whatever reason, whether it be his own skill, whether it be Mike Sullivan's coaching antics or even Jim Rutherford Deron Hextall's antics. Uh, sucks, but you know what? I mean... It, it, it is what it is sometimes. It is. And, and here's the thing. At the end of the day, Rikula played in 80 games for the Pittsburgh Penguins over four seasons. He scored three goals and 13 points. But again, I feel like there was so much untapped potential. And the last thing that I'll say on it is there is a, a technically a salary cap implication of Rikula leaving because this entire season, we already mentioned he only played in five games, but the entire season when he wasn't with the NHL roster, there was a $25,000 buried penalty on the Penguin salary cap. So it frees up 25 k that they didn't have this year. Not that that really makes much of a difference, but I guess in a, in a salary cap league, every penny counts. Where, where every dollar is going to count this summer for the Penguins, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, it counts for them because 
who knows, maybe 25,000K is exactly what puts you over the edge to sign both with Latang and Malkin. I don't know. We'll see what happens, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, if that is the case, then it's just another instance of Yusuf Rikula helping out the Pittsburgh Penguins when they don't really uh, appreciate it enough. But uh, let's move on. Obviously, we could probably talk about Rikula for hours, as we probably have over the past four seasons. But Penguins do make a signing. They signed Taylor Fadoon, 33-year-old right-shot defenseman, to two-year deal worth $762,000 per season. He's actually the captain of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins this year. This was his first season in the Penguins organization. To me, this just reeks of, hey, this is the Wilkes-Barre captain. He's probably a guy that may play a game or two if needed in the NHL level, but it's really just David Worsovsky 2.0 or Tom Kostopoulos 3.0, if you will. Yeah, All the, the Tom Kostopoulos one... He's a, he's a forward, but again, just the cap, the veteran captain in the AHL that is there to really shepherd the young stars to getting them ready for the NHL level. That's that's yeah. what Taylor Fadoon is going to be at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's not going to see NHL time. At least Tom Kostopoulos, no. he, he's one of very few to play 500 games in both leagues, which is oh, impressive. And still in the organization, yeah. by the way. Uh, doing what he can. Um, yeah, Taylor for doing nothing much. I mean, do you have the numbers on him? Did you read the numbers? I was reading Twitter because uh... I had the numbers on him. They're not in front of me right now. He's played in ten seasons in both the AHL and the NHL. Majority of it being the AHL, but he was on the Dallas Stars for two seasons, including the one where they went the whole way to the Stanley Cup Finals. He played eleven games in that run for the Stars in the bubble playoffs. So I mean, he has that he's got experience. Playoff experience. He's he's got he's got Stanley Cup playoff experience. I didn't look deep enough to see if he played in any of the actual finals games against Tampa Bay, but nonetheless, he's a guy that it, it's fine. It, it's exactly what David Worsovsky was. Hey, in case of emergency, break glass. That's Taylor Fadoon going forward. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with having him in this in the organization, especially if it's just AHL. I mean, sometimes you need those veteran guys down there just to help build up the team like you mentioned get the young guys into the fact that they're about to one day crack the nhl talk that you know be the leader for them uh perfect stuff all around and like let's the minor leagues who not who cares that much but it's not the um, biggest news but it's news nonetheless correct that's exactly it and i'm looking to see if he was playing in the finals at all just because he, oh, okay. he doesn't play doesn't have that many playoff games. Probably easy to find. No. No, not in any of the finals games. Colorado, okay. well, Calgary. Yeah. He played in the first so two first rounds. And second yeah. round. Okay. But still, hey, that's good experience, and I'm sure P.O. Joseph is is getting a wealth of knowledge off of Taylor Fordoon, which is why they re-signed him. So let's finish this segment off with with a little bit of a, a look back, a little bit of a throwback, because Yesterday, on Wednesday the 25th, was the five-year anniversary of Chris Kunitz's double overtime goal that sent the Pittsburgh Penguins to their second straight Stanley Cup Finals, defeating and basically ruining the franchise of the Ottawa Senators in Game 7. What many people don't remember is that was Chris Kunitz's final goal as a Pittsburgh Penguin. He did not score another goal after that. And then he left for Tampa Bay in the offseason. Not only that, but heading into that game, he had gone, I believe it was 35 straight games without a goal. He lost the last 21 games of the regular season, and then the entire playoffs up to that point, Kunitz had not scored a goal. He was relegated to the third line duty, and then finally gets out there. Crosby comes off the bench, 
You know how it ended. The Pittsburgh Penguins win it in double overtime. One of the most iconic goals in Pittsburgh Penguins history. I'm not going to say the most, but one of the most. Oh, it's up there. That's for sure. Yeah, I didn't realize that uh, his goalless streak had lasted that long. Um, I mean, he only had nine nine goals that season, which is a huge drop-off, even for him. Uh, it had to be, of all people, it had to be him, because you also have to remember, uh, the guy scored earlier in that game. Yeah. He opened, opened the, scoring, the scoring, didn't he? Am I making that one yes, up? Yes, he did, on a two-on-one with Connor Sherry. <sighs> Man, keeps getting weirder. <laughs> um Man, I'll tell you what, though. Not only was that goal incredible and just an iconic moment that will be, will be remembered forever uh, in Pittsburgh Penguins history, that game was incredible. Beginning to end, yeah. the entire game was a ton of fun. Uh, the fact that, like I had already said, Chris Kunitz opens the scoring up halfway through, about halfway through the first. But, you know, right back, Mark Stone. I just pulled the score sheet up in front of me. Yeah, 20 seconds later. And that was the second seven. period, not first. My bad. Whole score yeah. was first period. In a game seven, not ideal. Third period, Justin Schultz, huge goal. Justin Schultz, big yeah. time, just a big game. Justin Schultz, if you will, also assisted by Chris Kunitz. You know how it goes. Yeah. And then just I can still remember seeing Ryan Dezingle bat that tying goal in late, thinking this can't be how it ends. We didn't know what was coming of the Ottawa Senators in the following years. I would have been pissed had I known what was going to happen, and the fact that we took this team to seven, or this team took us to seven. And then one one overtime goes by. Don't forget the puck bouncing over the top of the net. Don't forget Brian Dumoulin almost finding the back of that with the game winner with an unaware Craig Anderson of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Phil Kessel almost had a breakaway chance. There was moments all over this game. And then you know, second overtime, five minutes in, here comes fresh from the bench. Crosby, Kunitz. And I black out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, honestly, when you look back at that, it's just perfect. Yeah. And the picture, still seeing the picture of Ian Cole, Chris Kunitz, and Sidney Crosby right after the goal is scored is still iconic. And then also, the fact that it's Doc Emmerich, the fact that we know it's the final years of Doc Emmerich, one of his last massively iconic calls, he's, he's had a bunch of them, but the fact that it's his voice over top of that also means a lot to me personally, and it just is perfect and encapsulating for those years right there. And, and honestly, it is crazy. In the pantheon of moments, I rank this as fifth on the mural that it currently sits on at PPG Paints Arena. I do think the Lemieux goal, the Yager goal against the Blackhawks in 92, the Benino goal, the Flurry save in 2009, those I think are all more iconic moments. But this Kunitz goal has to be up there. It really does. I think it's fifth. I really think everything else is above it still on that mural, but I can't take too much away from Kunitz because I did bash him that entire season. And then, of course, he goes out and does that and forever just writes his name into the history books of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I would say it's higher than fifth. Um, the, the Mario goal may never be topped. Let's just start there. Yes. <clears throat> that Yager goal, yeah, it, I think that one drops a little bit for me. Just because, I mean, maybe because they swept yeah, the Blackhawks. They swept the Blackhawks, and, and, and yeah, because what the the Lemieux goal, while the while the winning game in that series was a utter blowout, eight nothing, eight nothing. Um, that that goal happened early. It was like game one or two. 
it was in game one, I believe, yeah, like, that he scored that goal. Which I can't remember. I wasn't born. It's yet, like I've heard this <laughs> argument, not that to not to tail this ar- tail this conversation on a little bit longer, but I've heard the argument that the Bobby Orr goal is overrated, and I can agree with it because it was game four. It was a it was to sweep. If you lost that game in that overtime, you were going to turn around and win in game five anyway. Like wow. you beat a, a Blues team that was what in their first or second year. I guess third, third year, whatever it was. They were the first expansion team from the second six to make the Stanley Cup Finals, but uh, it did not go well. Yeah, and it was just like if if that photo isn't taken, like does the goal get remembered? Yeah, but it was a game four overtime. You swept a team that you weren't gonna lose to anyway. It's yeah. I can see the argument coming from that, and that's kind of how I look at the Yager one. Where it was a great goal. Don't get me wrong, and also mm-hmm. in the Or one, just a simple. You just skated to the front of the net found, and found a pass okay. in the well, in the '60s of, against a '60s goalie where they're not making that save. <laughs> and well, first and foremost, sir, it was 1970 my, when that. See, happened. here's how little I care about that day. Also, it was Boston. Well, here's the thing, though. Even if it was a shutout, or not a shutout, but a sweep. The fact is, he scored an overtime goal to clinch the Stanley Cup. Alec Martinez's goal is nothing special. But people remember it because it was an overtime goal to double overtime, finish off. Was it double yeah, overtime? Yeah, because I can remember way. staying up for it. It was a goal that ended the season just like that. The Stanley Cup is awarded because that puck went in the net immediately. That's why it's remembered. And also because it's Bobby Orr, one of the five greatest players, one of the three greatest players in the history of the sport. That's why. But we don't have to continue. We, we can argue about this after we get off the podcast. But let's move over to talk about Ron Hextall's press conference on Monday. Nothing too earth-shattering coming from it. That's why we didn't do an emergency podcast on Monday or even Tuesday morning. What is the biggest takeaway for you from what Ron Hextall said on Monday afternoon? Biggest takeaway might honestly be that he got one of those, uh, that he got a, uh, what am I trying to say? Media availability that he got a, that he got a press conference. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he was, that there was all this talk in the first 48 hours after the season ended that uh, Fenway might not might not be super confident in Ron Hextall. Hey, they're having him quite literally write an essay about the future of the team. Hey, they're reviewing him. All this other stuff. Uh, Brian Burke might not make it out of the summer. All of this was happening. Hey, they need to find a still still find a new CEO. Yeah. All right. Maybe Hextall's out the door. Well, then a signing happens. Okay, maybe he's sticking around. He got a press conference. Yeah, he's sticking around. I think that was my biggest yeah. takeaway. Everything that was yeah. said was going to be said. Yeah. Hey, we gotta, yeah. we're not talking about the Russ signing. Obviously, we, we want to keep uh, Latang and Malkin around. Those things are going to mm-hmm. be said. Just like uh, in all the exit interviews with the players, it's, uh, well, I'd like to stay here. Well, yeah. What are you going to say? Oh, yeah, I want to leave. What's what's Hextall going to say? Yeah, we're not trying to resign. I mean, I guess you could. Some, I guess some GMs will say, like, we're not trying to re-sign certain guys. They're gone. Get used mm-hmm. to it. Whereas in this one, we know the fan base. We know the media in this town. He's going to say we're going to try and re-sign them. That is the top priority. But yeah. then the real takeaways here, oh, going after the Rangers? Good stuff. Yeah. That's the yeah, stuff. He went at- when he went after the Rangers about the hits, basically saying there was intent, whether there was intent to injure, it's a different story, but there was certainly intent to do something there. Uh, basically saying that he thinks that Truba is going out there and headhunting. But, oh, and I can talk about that later. 
Yeah, my, my biggest takeaway from that was actually the Malkin Latang thing. You knew he was going to say it, but the amount of times that he went back to the well, they are our priority. They're our priority. They're our priority. Clearly, nothing else is getting done this offseason until we know the fate of those two players. That's what I think. We, we saw news early on with the Brian Russ signing. We saw the Taylor Fadoon signing, making me excited. But uh, we're not going to see anything else, really. And, and in my opinion, when you look at that, and when you look at the way that they're trying to sign them, and this might be old takes exposed in a month or two, they may only be able to return one other forward if they sign those two guys. You might have to pick from Kapanen, Rodriguez, Heinen, Raquel, and maybe Raquel won't even, there might not even be enough money for Raquel. You don't know what's going to happen, but the biggest takeaway for me is that that is so much of the priority that we may not see something else get done beforehand. I might be wrong, but that's the feeling that I got whenever he kept going back to the well like that. So one thing that's fun about Cap Friendly now, the, the, the dates have been updated. We have $23 have million dollars in cap space. Thank God. I, I hated doing that math every time because I would ke- keep forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> but $23 million. Current cap space is at $23 million. 23 here. You want to make it even better? It's almost 24. It's 23,958. Mm. <laughs> we have damn near $24 million to work with here. Yes. Suddenly, not that it's, you know, difficult. Suddenly, figuring out numbers for these guys becomes a lot easier. All right. Mm-hmm. Offer some numbers up. Keep it under 24. Go. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but there's also so many holes to fill. There is. And that's, that's a big thing. There and, is. And for me, when you hear that there's $24 million in cap space, my immediate reaction is, I'm going to say both of them average around seven is probably what they come in at, which means you have $10 million to sign the rest of the team, basically. You're right. And who does that include? Well, you're talking about Rick backup Powell. goalie. Backup. Backup goal we can get for league men. There's a million. Uh, then you have to... Unless they bring in uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, which we'll talk about on Monday. Bullshit. Uh, but then there's the <laughs> Ricard Raquel discussion. There's mm-hmm. Kapanen, Rodriguez, Heinen, Nathan Bowie. Well, yeah, well, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, can, mm-hmm. it seems possible. It seems possible, but you got to have everyone on the same page. Yep, and and there's different things that can happen. Clearly, we already talked on Monday's episode about there might be a defenseman that gets traded, which is over $4 million off the cap. That helps a a whole hell of a lot. Suddenly becomes 28. But but the big thing for me is when you talk about, hey, there's a lot of roster spots available that they don't have people signed in right now. They're only going to be able to sign maybe one of these forwards that were here last season. He also talked about the importance of youth next season. The importance of not rushing youth players up to the NHL level and waiting until they're actually ready instead of forcing them up and forcing them to be ready, which is an explanation basically as to why we didn't see most of them this season. Or if we did, we saw them like in one game, like Valtteri Pustinen. So guys like Pustinen, Casper Bjorkvist, Sam Poulan, he mentioned by name, and P.O. Joseph, that's something else that I, I took away from it. I wrote a, I wrote a dang story about it. But uh, that's something else that I took away from that press conference is that we will be seeing a youth movement coming next season. Thank thank you. Thank you. Two years two years late, but thank you. Finally. <laughs> Wanting to see a, youth, a, a focus on the youth for a lot longer than uh, right now. The interesting part is, though, is the fact that we're focusing on a youth movement. Correct. 
Mm-hmm. But man, are we also worried about keeping the core together? And that is a hard bridge to cross nicely. That's kind of why I wanted to focus on the youth movement while we still had time, like definite time with mm-hmm. uh, Balkan and Latang. Just implement guys like Poulin, Bjorkquist, all these guys. Um, a year to two years ago. Well, maybe just last mm. year. Who knows? Well, Poulin was only 18 two years right. ago. And, and P.O. Joseph was only 20. Right. So, like, that's something I have to keep reminding myself is that these guys, specifically guys like Poulin and Joseph, I mean, Poulin's 21 years old, Joseph's 22. That is so vastly young at this point. I think we, I, I always forget that because of how good some young players in this league are right off the bat. I mean, Matthews was basically a 17-year-old scoring four goals in his debut. Now, these guys aren't going to be anywhere close to that. But at the same time, so many young players have been making quick impacts that you forget that just about like six, seven years ago, this is the path that most prospects took. A Jake Gensel didn't come up till he was 23 or 24. A guy like Brian Rust was in the same boat. So it, it is interesting, especially when like I, I go back on the Brian Rust thing when he signed. I was like, wait, we drafted him in 2010? You, you have to but, tack on exactly. four years for college for a lot of those guys too. Like Gensel. Yes. Like Rust. Both of them played college for four. Teddy Bluger played college for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to remember that part too. And we also have like we've also just been gifted the fact that our best player came in and broke and set records at 18, 19. He's the only teenager to win a scoring title. He's the yeah. youngest captain in franchise history. He's the only he was twenty one. He's the youngest captain to win a Stanley Cup. It's we have to like we're also just ingrained in that. That Crosby did mm-hmm. so much good at such a young age that we're thinking, mm-hmm. all right, 20 is your time. I look at 30, and maybe this is just the Crosby thing. I look at 30 as, all right, it's the back half. Here's the back nine. Here's where the play starts deteriorating. Meanwhile, we just signed Russ for six years at the age of 30. Mm-hmm. Part of my brain goes, uh, he's old. The other part is, what are you talking about? So there's a yeah. like, so my brain hates itself right now, but you get what I'm saying. It's you look at the big three to start their age with, especially when you realize it's a young man's game now, mm-hmm. and your mind just kind of has to f- just learn that when it comes to certain things, like Brian Rust, the age doesn't matter. It is the production. Like Sidney Crosby, Malkin, the age yeah. doesn't matter. It is how much they can still produce and still mm-hmm. look good doing it. Latang in there, too. It's not about the age, although mm-hmm. it does when you look at length of contracts. To me, when I look at this, Hall of Fame talents like Crosby, Malkin, Latang, take that on a year-by-year basis. But for most players, and Rust falls into that category, the age of 32, personally, is when alarm bells start going off of me. Like, hey, we're going to start regression here. We're going to start regression here. 32 years old. Yep, they're going to regress at this point. Crosby's a different story because he's a freak of nature. Latang is a freak of nature. Malkin is a freak of nature. We've also seen great players not be able to extend their play late into their 30s or into their mid-30s. Jonathan Taves has fallen off a cliff. I mean, he's he's still all right, but he is nowhere near as good as he was when he was winning Stanley Cups back in 2010 to 2015. So the age of 32 to me, unless they are a Hall of Fame, surefire, top 10 of all time like Crosby, or like a sure fame Hall of Famer like Malkin or a Penguins Hall of Famer like Latang, 32 is the age that I look at it and I say, okay, we really need to start paying attention to his regression because it might be coming really sharp, similar to what we've seen from Brian Dumoulin as of late. Yeah, I've been I've been saying Latang's gonna fall off a cliff for what four years now. <laughs> yeah, this man and he's only gotten better. Yeah, so 
Way to go, Chris. And that being said, with the youth, move, youth movement, yeah, I just have to – maybe I've been wanting to see these young players play with these older guys just so they are ingrained in the uh, ingrained in the system and ingrained in the NHL game with some veterans that can really leave some lasting impressions and that they can take the reins. Maybe that was my thought process here. Well, now the time is up for what you – know, maybe possibly the time is up on Latang and Law because who knows if they're going to have that NHL experience with them only time will tell but again still seeing a youth movement come up it's good it is exactly what we want to see but if nothing else they're going to play with Sidney crosby and i think that's at least bare minimum right and uh jake gensel at the peak of his power yeah and what's one thing too is what what was one great part about mike sullivan getting brought up into the nh into the to coach the nhl penguins he brought up all those young players from wilkes-barre and it's not only did he bring those guys up but those guys knew each other those guys knew what they yeah. were all about. Why do you think it was our depth pieces at the time? Brian Rust, at the time, Jake Ensel to an extent. At the time, Tom Kunockle, Scott Wilson. These guys that... Carter Rowney. Carter Rowney. We're never really going to talk about in the hallowed grounds of Penguins history, but we're going to discuss as those were the depth pieces that knew each other for years. Mm-hmm. Not years, but knew each other for a, from a long season grinding out on the bus in the AHL to winning the Stanley Cup together. Yep. That's a deeper brotherhood than quite a few people that have won the cup can say. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that bringing up the youth movement now is going to make a ton of difference, especially mm-hmm. with the core aging out. And I like the idea of bringing up a couple of guys at once so they know each other, not just one at a time, mm-hmm. because that's where the that's where things can get messed up. <clears throat> yeah. So we'll have to see. I think that's what we see at the beginning of next season, that there's going to be three or two or three, I think, spots where you're going to see a younger player, a guy that you saw play primarily in Wilkes-Barre this year, get an opportunity. But let's finish off this episode with our shout-outs and call-outs. Horwat, I'm going to start with my shout-out. Can it be anybody other than Andre Vasilevsky at this point of the Tampa Bay Lightning? He had a 49-save shutout of the Florida Panthers in Game 4 to sweep the President's Trophy Panthers out of the playoffs. The Lightning for the third straight year advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals. That was the first time all season that the Panthers were shut out. In the highest stakes game, Andre Vasilevsky went out there and stopped him on 49 shots. That is the second most saves in a series-clinching win in NHL history behind only just Patrick Waugh. You know, who's that guy, right? Just one of the greatest goaltenders in the history of the game. I don't know if he's ever going to lose again in the postseason. I really don't. And some people say, hey, it's the team. Well, the the team made him face 49 shots from the best offense in the league this year. And he just made it look like cake. He, he made it look like easy work, like a, like a game of shinny. He was so good in that game. He's been so good in that position for the last three seasons. The last team to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. I had to think about this. It was the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I blame Columbus for waking up whatever we're seeing in the last three years because the Lightning, once again, are probably the favorites at this point to win the entire thing. But just a couple more stats on Vasilevsky. His record in series clinching games is 12-9. and A lot of those losses came a long time ago. Two of them were to the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2016 in Game 6 and Game 7. His record in games after a loss in the postseason since 2019 do you want to venture guess at how many losses he has? Isn't it like something in one? 17 and zero. <clears throat> including a 147 goals allowed average, a 942 save percentage, and five shutouts. It's ridiculous. The Lightning have won 10 straight playoff series, but 
to me, he's close to already being a Hockey Hall of Famer. Like, already being a Hockey Hall of Famer. He has a Vezina. He has two Stanley Cups. He has a Conn Smythe. And he has all of these ridiculous records. And he's just getting started with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't see a fall-off happening because he's been that dang good for that long. This guy is my shout-out this week because he's just ridiculous. And one last thing. I have this graphic from ESPN that I want to pull up. Yep. <laughs> he's just ridiculous. He's ridiculous. In the last seven series clinching wins, 200 shots faced, one goal. In seven clinching wins, one goal. In seven games. Do you know who the that same one percentage goal is? in those games is 995. His goals allowed average is 0.14 and he has six shutouts. It's absolutely outstanding. Do I know who that one goal is? It's Morgan Riley of the Toronto Maple Leafs in, in the last series in game seven. Yes, sir. That's wild. And you what's even is he up for the Vesna this year? I don't know if he is. It's it's gonna go to Igor Shesterkin, so he's not gonna win the Vesna. No, but it's Shesterkin, Markstrom, Blank. I forget the, Oh, and uh He's Soros, so he's yeah. not even up for the he's not even up for the best, so, yeah, which means we're gonna get to see a fun press conference from Nikita Kucherov if they win again. Yeah, because I was gonna say I have the re I have a couple of regular season numbers. First of all, he's since uh, what what year is that? Twenty eighteen. He's mm -hmm. been in the top three of Vesna voting every year since twenty eighteen, except for this year. That's why I had to ask that. Yeah, he's won it once, came in second last year, third two other times. He has led the league in wins each year since 2018. I didn't realize that either. Ridiculous. He had 39 this year, and he's 39 wins, led the league in wins, and isn't up for the swipe again this year, or for the Vesna again this Vesna. year? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. <clears throat> Disgusting. Igor Shesterkin, uh, cool. Yeah, whatever. I don't like your team. He did it without, yeah, he basically did it without a team, which is why he's going to win. Sure. But, like, Andre Vasilevsky, look at that. 200 shots faced, one goal allowed in series-clinching games. Yeah. Like, not even, it's it's not like, oh, yeah, he did that in a random stretch in December. Series-clinching games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. 200 shots, one goal against. He's just, he, he's absolutely ridiculous. Gross. <laughs> oh, man. So who's your shout-out, Horwat? Uh, you said, can it be anyone other than uh, Andre Vasilevsky? I say yes. Nazem Kadri oh. is the story of the playoffs right now. Yes. I get the avalanche lost, by the way. How? How? I went. I, I fell asleep. I saw the Nathan McKinnon goal. I went, that was cool. They won. Cool. Went to bed. Woke up. Went, what happened? I saw the tying goal by Robbie Thomas, and then I went to bed, and I said, I am not staying up for this right now. Oh, but no, big, absolute big, the biggest of shout-outs to Nazem Kadri for, uh, you know what, the the, the quote-unquote run, he took at Bennington, looked fine to me, he got pushed into, things happen, it's the playoffs. But We've seen Nazem Kadri be dirty in the playoffs, and that was not nearly yeah. Nazem Kadri dirty in the playoffs. No, but then just the onslaught of horrible humanity going yeah. toward him. My God, it makes you really sad to live in this world, not to mention other things that have been happening. Oh. Um, oh to the point where police have to get involved. First of all, as Alan Walsh tweeted, whenever that kind of thing happens in English soccer leagues, police do get involved right away. Mm -hmm. So the fact that police had to get involved, the fact that police had to stand next to the Avalanche's like dressing or walkout area, I forget what it's called, like the runway to the ice. Yeah, uh, disgusting stuff from St. Louis. And then what does he do? Goes out and just gets assaulted the entire game. 
I appreciated yeah. that. I think it was you and a couple other people tweeted once David Perron opened the scoring, tweeting about David <laughs> Perron not being able to do that in Pittsburgh. Oh, guess yeah. what? I wanted to say, man, this tweet aged like milk because you saw what he did for the rest of the game, and that was lose his mind over yeah. Nazem Kadri, who, by the way, whew, well, like I said, went on to score not once, not twice, but three times in front of a St. Louis crowd, avoid an elbow from David Perron after scoring, and just get assaulted by him the entire game. And, yeah, uh, yeah no, nothing against uh, David Perron. Have fun. Go out and play game five. Um, yeah, biggest of shout-outs to Nazem Kadri for being the better human and better hockey player in mm-hmm. every form of each word mm-hmm. against St. Louis because that was so much fun, and I'm damn sad they didn't win. It'll be even sweeter when they win in St. Louis and Nazem Kadri scores the game winner Yeah, because these stories write themselves. I'm glad you brought up David Perron and the the – reaction of the blues fans to the Jordan Bennington thing, because that is my call out for this week because you know, David Perron, I get it. Kadri injured Jordan Bennington, who was playing extremely well and was giving that team a chance to potentially stay up with the abs in that series because he played so well against who did they play the, the wild in the first series. He had played well up to that point in that series. I get it. It was less than clean. It wasn't squeaky clean, but and, and I also get Kadri has a history, especially in the postseason. But come on. That was not malicious and intentious. And I'm sure you're going to talk about intent in your call-out because I know where you're going with it. But the police presence outside of the hotel due to racial threats and insults is unacceptable. I understand it's not the entirety of Blues fans. I'm not casting aspersions on the entirety of that fan base. But the select few that did, you are the scum of the earth. That is unacceptable, and you should not even be allowed back at Enterprise Center. If they even were at Enterprise Center in St. Louis, you should not be allowed to go to any NHL event if you're something if you're that blatantly just horrible as a human being. That and then the Perron stuff on the ice. They tweeted about uh, the, the NHL player safety said, "Oh, five thousand dollars, the maximum allowable for the cross check." the third cross check that Kadri took on that entire sequence. And I, I thought you were going to talk about that quote tweet where I quote tweeted and said, okay, now what about the aggravated assault? Because he jumped on him, was punching him in the face. Kadri was turtle. It's not like he was fighting back. And it was, it was one of the worst things you'll see on NHL. I mean, you'll see worse stuff, I'm sure. But like, that's, that's just not acceptable from a guy like David Perron, who listen, he had two goals. He had a hat trick earlier in this playoffs. He's been great all off season or all postseason for the St. Louis Blues, but that is just it was disgusting. It was awful. And the fact that the NHL player safety was basically like, yeah, we'll give him a, a 5K fine. I'm sure there's people in that locker room that are paying that fine off for him. I'm sure Jordan Bennington will probably pay that fine off for he's him. He's gonna throw not, he's gonna put the five thousand dollars in a water bottle and throw it at him. Also, yeah, forgot just, about that part of the story. Yeah, it, it's just it, it's horrendous. And then not only that but then the attempted elbow after like coming out of the box from doing what you just did and then trying to elbow a guy, not just blatantly and chicken winging it right after he scores a goal. So not even in the pace of play. So it was just awful. I hope the abs end it in six in St. Louis, just to rub it in their face. I hope Nazem Kadri scores an overtime goal to end it. Like I said, these stories, that's what I'd love to see. I, the, the, Last thing I'll say is the Blues were the only team I didn't want to see advance out of the final eight. Not because of this stuff, just because of sure entertainment value. But now I certainly don't want to see them get out of the final eight, considering the way that Perron, the way that 
uh, who's their coach's name? I can't remember. Barube, oh, Barube and the way the Bennington all, all answered. So like th- th- that's it's just a hideous display of sportsmanship all around in that situation on the fans part on the team's part and i cannot wait for the time that they are eliminated i'm not going to hold it against them going forward after this season but like the rest of this year they don't deserve to get out of this round. right and, and the thing is too i didn't even like put this together but as a st louis blue clearly you have to be well aware i mean Barube was asked about it asked about fans reactions to nazim kadri when your fans are reacting a certain way toward a certain player, maybe you as a player on that team shouldn't take your their fans, take your fans' aggression out on him. That's the other thing, too. He was definitely going after him, and it seemed as if he was sent by the crowd to do that. That's what makes it even worse uh, in Perron's case, just because... Why? Like, the crowd was giving, giving it to him. Police had to get involved. Why are you now adding to it, making it yeah. look wor- like maybe be the maybe you yourself should be the bigger person? Like, you started the game off with a goal. Build off of that. And here's the thing. We always talk about it, and I don't want to get too much deeper no. into this just because I feel like we've covered it pretty well. If you're going to do something in retaliation – do it on the opening faceoff. We've seen it happen. We saw it happen with, what was it, Rangers, Capitals, with the Tom Wilson thing and Artemi Panarin. Do it from the opening faceoff. Don't sit there, wait the rest of the game, and then wait until the guy's in the most vulnerable position, then try to punch his head out from the from behind, after you cross-checked him from behind, and then try to elbow him in the head, launching into it. That was, It was disgusting. It was, it was chicken crap, is what I'm going to say, it, because if you're going to do something, do it at the beginning of the game. Don't wait till the second, third period. Don't wait till... Oh, he just scored a hat trick goal. I'm gonna try to knock him off his pedestal. Whatever. It's 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 chicken shit, is what it is. Yeah, honestly, it is. It's gross. And so, what's your what's your call out to end this all? Man, you know what? Sometimes hits to the head are accidents. I get it. They're yeah. accidents. Sometimes skies are falling. That's fine. But when it's the same person every time that is committing the violation, <laughs> come on, come on. There's a track record here, Jacob Truba. I don't care if. I don't care if the Crosby one was intentional. I don't care if the uh, Jake Gensel one was intentional. Now we can add Max Domi to the list. No matter what intent or not, it's always him. The elbow is always cocked for some reason. It is always flying out afterwards for some reason. Okay, maybe maybe Max Domi was falling. You know, Maybe Jake Gensel's head just happened to get in the way of an elbow. Uh, and maybe Crosby didn't actually get hit in the head. All of it. So be it. Why is it always this guy? Why is it always him? It's not. It, this isn't a Tom Wilson thing where it's a little more egregious. This is a Jacob Truba thing where it is, hey, man, this is, uh, it's always him. It's always him. Why is it always him? Maybe we should, I don't know, crack down on things. NHL player safety not doing their damn job as always. Yep. So, yeah, with the whole Truba situation, you can say he's falling. You can make all these excuses, but essentially... You can only make so many excuses before three times within the span of four games is a little, little, little interesting same at the guy. very least. It's the same, same guy. guy. And here's the thing. The worst of all of them, even though it's the only one that didn't really end in an injury, was was the Gensel one. His back is turned. You launched and hit him in the back of the head. Gensel was standing straight up. Gensel was Im- immobile. He wasn't not moving. And you still did that with your elbow. So, yeah. that And that might be why that one was actually called. But... Still, you do it to Crosby in a time 
And, and the timing is, is also off too. Because you did it to Crosby when your team was down 3-1 to one in the series, down 2 to nothing in the game, and you had no answers for Sidney Crosby. That's one thing. You did it to Domi a game after your coach said, I don't like the crap that they're doing. I don't like what Domi's doing. I don't like all of this stuff. And you know what? If they want to play that way, we have the guys that can play that way too. You can watch. And guess what? The next game, Domi gets elbowed in the head. Basically, I'm sure he was concussed. Like, I didn't follow up on that to see if he was, but I'm sure he was at the very least taking a concussion protocol because... Even though he was falling, that chicken wing comes out. I gave you, my friend Ryan Flick gave us the medical terminology for that disorder. I don't think he actually has that disorder. But it certainly seems like at the amount of times that that little chicken wing decides to just keep on flopping right out away from his body and making direct contact with somebody's head. So, I, I get it. But at the same time, you can only make so many excuses when the same guy does it so many different times in a short span of time. I really appreciate that, uh... Gerard Gallant did say we have the players that can handle that. You're right, you do. Why Brian Reeves only play 11 minutes then? He's yeah. the guy that can do it. That's He does this, I, I think nothing of it. I go, well, because, yeah, Ryan Because Reeves. Ryan Reeves does stuff clean and they want it dirty, so that's why they instu- <laughs> That's why they had Jacob Truba do it. We have guys that can do it. All right. Let me see Ryan Reeves. Go ahead. I'll wait. Oh, he's not the one. He's still on the bench. You're not playing him? Who are you playing? Oh, you're throwing out of actually a genuinely decent hockey player to... Throw elbows around. That's not smart, but okay, whatever. Well, Coach of the Year candidate, a, huh? There's also the fact that this player... Has the history? It, well, not just has the history, but this player has also not been penalized on it. So why why stop? Coach why of the stop year what's working? Exactly. But... That's going to do it for this. That's going to do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back Monday. And you know what? We already talked about a little bit. If you want to hear a discussion about the potential returns of Marc-Andre Fleury and Phil Kessel, we will have that discussion on Monday. I think Horowitz already given you a nod if you're watching on YouTube as to what his opinion is on that. But we will discuss that on Monday. Basically a game of would you rather. But that's going to do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great weekend, Pittsburgh Penguins fans. You can follow the hosts on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. Listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts from or watch us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins. This show is brought to you by SI Fan Nation and InsideThePenguins.com.